Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop in a spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be worshiping at all times. Let's begin in Job chapter 1. In Job chapter 1, beginning in the 13th verse, it says, And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and have burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans have made out free bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose, and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job lost everything. He lost his business, his livestock, his servants, and worst of all, he lost his children. He suffered a loss that has few parallels in history. Everything in the natural was going all wrong for him. It would have been understandable if he became dejected, hurt, angry, resentful, or depressed. But he didn't. His response is very interesting. After the four messengers came to him, telling him about all that he lost, verse 20 tells us, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. He reacted by worshiping the Lord. This is a strange reaction. Even Christians don't always associate worship with grief or loss or pain. To those in the world, it's almost inconceivable how a person could worship in the face of these things. But this is because worship isn't always properly understood. Many think that Job worshiped in place of his grief and pain. But this wasn't at all what was happening. He wasn't oblivious to his pain. He wasn't ignoring it choosing to worship instead like his pain wasn't real and didn't exist. It's obvious from this verse that he felt grieved. He felt hurt. That's why he rent his mantle and shaved his head. He let his grief and pain drive him to worship. He let worship become the fruit of his broken heart. 
This shows the depth of his relationship with God, and it shows the authenticity of his love for the Lord. In order to better understand this, we need to take a closer look at worship. We need to ask ourselves, what exactly is worship? As a noun, it means the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for God. As a verb, it means showing reverence and adoration for God. It's both a noun and a verb, which means it's both a thing and an action. Worship can't just be limited to thoughts and words. It has to manifest itself in actions. Thoughts and words are necessary, and they have their place, but they can't end in and of themselves. They have to produce, and they have to lead to something beyond themselves. If they don't result in actions, it indicates that we didn't truly believe what we thought, and we didn't really mean what we said. Words are nice, but they don't carry the same weight as actions do. As the saying goes, actions speak louder than words. Our actions authenticate that we meant what we said, and that we weren't just saying it for the sake of saying it. This is why people brought sacrifices to the temple in the Old Testament. It was an act of worship, and this is why we give today. It's an act of worship. Giving is not the only act of worship, but it is the most prominent. If we are to truly worship, we need to do so in word and in action. There are two main components of worship, which are reverence and adoration. Without them, worship wouldn't really be what it is. Reverence means deep respect for someone or something. We can't worship the Lord without respecting Him. It's not possible. Respect is conditional. We respect someone because of their character, their integrity, or any quality or attribute that they have that we admire. God's character is perfect, and His attributes are perfect. We respect the Lord because He's good, He's faithful, He's trustworthy, He's loving, He's just, and for a million other reasons. Since God is perfect, every attribute that He has warrants respect from us. There is never any reason for the Christian to not respect the Lord. We can disagree with Him, but we can't disrespect Him. He is owed our respect, and worship is the vehicle by which we express that respect to Him. Adoration is the second component. It means deep love and respect. Adoration has to do with love. Since we're referring to God, we're dealing with agape love. Unlike respect, agape is unconditional and self-sacrificial. Agape, like worship itself, has to do with action more than words or thoughts. Agape is the highest form of love because it's focused on action. The actions of agape love that a person does authenticate their words of love. It shows that they meant what they said. This love is blind. We should love God simply because He is God. The fact that He is our Creator, our Father, and our Friend should only add to our love. He is the personification of love itself. 1 John 4 and 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. We are called to love Him no matter what, the same way that He loves us. True love is costly, which is why it is self-sacrificial. Our sacrifice of love, no matter how it manifests itself, is our action of love. Just like with respect, we are commanded to love God, and our worship is the expression of our love. Since our worship is rooted in agape, it should be unconditional, just like our love. We should be able to worship at all times, no matter what's going on around us in the natural. This is the point where worship begins to be misunderstood by many Christians. 
Far too many believers fall into the trap of only worshiping when things are going well or when they feel happy. We should worship at these times, but they shouldn't be the only times that we worship. When people do this, they're making the mistake of making worship predicated on the natural when it's meant to be something that reaches out into the supernatural. This limits it to a realm and a set of circumstances that it was never meant to be confined to. It makes worship nothing more than thankfulness or gratitude, and it makes it nothing more than the product of a certain emotional state or set of conditions, which makes it conditional, which is exactly what it was never meant to be. The other issue with this mindset is that when we worship only when we feel like it, we take the focus off of God and put it on ourselves. Worship is a one-way street. It's from us to God, never the other way around. As a creature, this is our duty towards our Creator. We owe the Lord our worship. When we worship only when we feel inclined to do so, we're trying to invert that order, putting ourselves over God. Job shows us the right way to worship. He not only worshiped when everything was going well, now when he lost everything, he still worshiped because he understood what worship really is. Worship should always be done, no matter what the circumstances are in the natural. Only then is our worship truly unconditional. It's also at this point, when we choose to still glorify God, in spite of the hurt and the pain that we feel, that our worship is self-sacrificial, because our worship itself becomes the sacrifice. This is when we're truly looking beyond what we see and feel in the natural. Hebrews 13 and 15 says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The fact that the Lord is due worship, due respect, and due love never changes. This is why we have to let the Lord turn our pain into worship. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in the 12th verse, it says, and it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she prayed in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition, that thou wast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way, and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early, and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house to Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about, after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. We find that Hannah did a very similar thing as Job did. She, after going through a long period of hardship and pain, worshipped. It was her first response. Right after she prayed and told God her petition, she worshipped because like Job, she knew what worship really was. Verse 19 says, And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. 
and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. It's important that we remember that this was at least nine months before she got the answer to her prayer in Samuel. She worshipped long before the answer came, which shows us another aspect of worship. We can't allow God's answers to our prayers, or what we expect His answers to be, to determine whether we'll worship or not. This does what we saw earlier and makes it conditional and it limits it to something that it was never meant to be limited to. There's even more that we can learn about worship from this. Worship is also what liberates us when we're enduring a time of hardship and pain. When we lift our hands and worship the Lord, it's surrender, and it's how we give our burden to the Lord. Our worship is our transferring of the burden to God. The Lord has prescribed this as the remedy to get us out of the valley of grief and discouragement. Hannah hadn't received anything yet, but she still loved and respected the Lord, which she expressed to him through her worship. She stayed faithful to God, and God stayed faithful to her. Verse 20 says, Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about, Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. The Lord answered her prayer and gave her a child who would go on to become one of Israel's greatest prophets. But it all started with her decision to pray and to worship. She let her pain and sorrow drive her to worship. We too should worship before our prayers manifest, and we should worship while we're still in the valley. Because it's our worship that God uses as the vehicle to bring us out of the valley and put us on our way to the mountaintop. In Job chapter 1, verse 21 told us, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This verse shows his mindset. And not only does it show this, it shows two other things. It shows surrender, and it shows submission. He was surrendered to the Lord, and submitted to his will. Through saying this, he was acknowledging his dependence on God and God's sovereignty. He was doing the right thing, putting the Lord's will above his own. He understood the Lord was in charge and could do as he saw fit. He was able to think this way because he knew God is a good God. He knew God cared about him, and he knew that God wanted what was best for him. God sees the big picture, incompletion, while we only see small, isolated puzzle pieces one at a time. Job understood this. He knew that even though everything was going wrong at that time, that in the end, the Lord would work it out for his good. This statement by Job was his worship. Verse 20 ends in a comma, showing it's connected to verse 21. Together they are one unbroken thought. He was expressing his love and respect for the Lord, and within his expression, we find his surrender and submission. These two elements are inseparable from worship, but these things are like thoughts and words. They're important, they're necessary, but they need to produce, and they need to lead to something beyond themselves. Otherwise, they end in themselves, which makes them unprofitable and meaningless. They need to lead to action, but what is the action? Surrender and submission should always lead to obedience. Ezekiel 24 and 18 tells us, So I speak unto the people in the morning, and at even my wife died, and I did in the morning as I was commanded. This verse is a good example of obedience. This is what worship should lead to. This is the product of surrender and submission. 
Ezekiel could have felt angry and resentful towards God, but instead he obeyed. His obedience was worship because it outwardly demonstrated his love and respect for God. Nobody forced him to obey. He willingly chose to do what the Lord commanded him to do, which shows that he was looking beyond what he saw and what he felt in the natural to see God's hand working even in the worst of situations. When we know that God is working all things together for our good, this alone should cause us to worship. Ezekiel shows here what he, Job, and Hannah all did. They were all obedient. They were all faithful. They didn't let their circumstances get the best of them. They didn't fold under pressure. They didn't let the enemy use their loss and pain and deferred hopes against them. And they didn't allow their natural conditions to destroy the relationship with God, which is not only indicative of faithfulness, it's also indicative of spiritual maturity. Ezekiel, Job, and Hannah are all examples of Proverbs 24 and 16, which says, For a just man falls seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Sometimes life knocks us down. It takes all the wind out of us. But we have to be able to get back up again and keep going, because when we do, it's obedience. We are always commanded to keep going, no matter what. Exodus 14 and 15 tells us, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. When the Lord told them this, they were at the brink of the Red Sea, which was a body of water that they weren't able to cross in the natural. But God still told them to go forward. Doing so required them to operate in faith and to be obedient. This command was not only given to them, it's also for us. We are to always go forward, trusting God. Going forward requires us to leave the past behind. It would have been easy for Job or Hannah or Ezekiel to get caught up on what they didn't have, only seeing what they lost, but they didn't. The devil always tries to get us focused on what we don't have while we miss all that we do have. He tries to get us caught up on our past because doing so makes us miss out on our present and it keeps us locked out from our future. We have to be willing to move on from the past if we are ever to go forward. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14 tell us, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Our past can't be changed, but our future can we can't allow the devil to use our past against us. We need to rebuke any attack by him to do so. When the devil tries to bring up our past, we need to bring up his future because we have the victory. When we make up our mind to go forward, it's an act of worship. When we go forward, even when it seems impossible to do so, even when it seems like things will never get any better, it's our sacrifice. It's putting action to our words of worship and it's our action that makes the difference. It authenticates our words of worship. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 to 24 says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, 
I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. The Lord desires our obedience. Saul didn't obey the Lord. He rebelled. His rebellion was that he didn't wait for Samuel and went ahead to build an altar and sacrifice on it, something that he wasn't permitted to do. He worshiped the Lord in words. He sacrificed to him. But it was all unprofitable and meaningless and vain because it didn't manifest in action. It didn't result in obedience. He didn't mean what he said. If he had, he would have waited for Samuel. We find from these verses that not only did Saul not obey God, but he obeyed the voice of the people. This was rebellion, open treason against God, because he gave his obedience to someone other than God. Outwardly, he worshiped God, while inwardly, he rebelled against him. This is an example of Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 through 9, which tell us, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Our obedience must be directed towards God, or else it means nothing. Rebellion is the opposite of worship, because it's done against the Lord, and there's no love or respect present. The last thing that we need to look at today is Job chapter 1 and verse 22. Right after he worshiped the Lord, it says, In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. This is where most Christians go wrong today. When things take a turn for the worse, many stop worshiping and instead let their hurt fester into anger and resentment towards God. They feel like God forsook them and left them when they needed them most. But these are just feelings, and feelings are temporary. They always pass. As time goes on, it becomes clear that God never forsook them and that he always desired the best for them. We need to be very careful with our feelings. They have their place, but they shouldn't dictate our conduct or control our life. We must remember that when we became born again, we made a covenant with the Lord to surrender to Him and to submit to His will. We will have times when we're angry with Him. We may not like something that He said or did. We may not understand or agree with His will. There will be times when we disagree and argue with Him, and these are all well within our rights. But we never, under any circumstances, have the right to disrespect him. And we absolutely never have the right to not love him. To do so is rebellion. It's an affront to him and to his character. And it's a direct breach of contract. We must worship always. Our worship must be unconditional. It must be self-sacrificial. And it must manifest in obedience to God and to his will. Today, we haven't rebelled. We understand worship. That's why we're listening to this program today. And now we need, in unity as the body of Christ, to praise and glorify God. No matter what season of life we're in, whether things are at their best or at their worst, let's make the choice to worship at all times and show the Lord the respect and the love that we have for Him. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that even though many times in life we'll go through hard times, times of hurt and pain and discouragement and grief, that, Lord, you have made a way for us to release that burden, to give that burden over to you. And, Lord, that way is through our worship. Lord, today we worship you, we glorify you, we exalt your name. Lord, you are great, and it's because of who you are that you are a good and a faithful God. 
that we worship you because we respect you for who you are, for your character, and we love you because you are our God, and even more so, you are our creator and our father and our friend. You are everything. You are all in all. And Lord, we thank you that we can know what worship is so that we'll know better how to do it. And Lord, we ask that you give us the strength, just like we're meant to pray always, to worship always. Lord, we never want there to be a time in our life when we won't communicate to you the respect and the love that we have for you. Because these things are just like you yourself. They're immutable. They never change. Lord, because we know that you are love personified and that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, we thank you that you never leave and never forsake us and that you always have our best interests at heart. For this and for everything else that you do and everything else that you are, we give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to worship at all times and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.